0: This week on Making Contact... The basic lie is that they say that they care about children, so they care about fetuses, but they speak about women all the time, you know? And the whole propaganda is against women, how women want to have abortion, how women are unreasonable, and how women have to be controlled. This is not a
1: fight for children, this is a fight against women. They're very much anxious to communicate that the child's life is precious, but I don't see them doing anything about at least three and a half, if not 4,000 children who are living in homeless accommodation. They do nothing about that. They never speak about that.
2: Around the world, women continue to fight for control over our bodies. Reproductive rights are still under threat. Women Rising Radio talks with Polish women's strike organiser Marta Lempart, with Catholics for Choice and the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health in the U.S., and with Ireland's Alva Smith, a leader of the victorious pro-choice campaign, Together for Yes.
0: Hello, my name is Marta Lempart. I'm from Poland. We just had a huge demonstration here, over 30,000 people in just one city, because we have a national women's strike, because our parliament wants to ban abortion in Poland, totally. It's called Black Monday, and we're on strike. And I am in...
2: Women in Poland knew how to get around their country's strict anti-abortion laws. Everyone simply did what they had to do in secret to practice family planning. But in 2015, a right-wing government tried to turn back the hands of time on women's rights in Poland. That spurred Marta Lempart and other women to organize the massive Polish women's strike of 2016 that
0: defeated government plans. Since 2015, we've had this populist right-wing government that actually likes the rise of the neo-Nazi neo-fascist agenda and, and supports that in many ways and likes the fundamentalist and and crazy religious agenda so in a year since they came into power they actually voted in Polish parliament that they will proceed and uh, that the bill on total ban on abortion total ban meaning also that women would be actually punished for miscarriage, for example. So very, very, very strict, and most of the people realize that this is actually crazy what is going on. And this strictening the law and, and, and making it mo- even more restrictive really scared people, and it scared me. And I have, of course, a personal story, because most of the people had at that time. So I have the story of my close relative, who was denied prenatal tests, although she was in this group that was supposed to have the prenatal test because she has the genetic disease. And she gave birth to a child who wasn't able to live. And it was a boy, he died within two days, and she had to watch this. So if this bill became a law, she would have to endure it again, and I don't think she would live through that. Most of the women who participated in the protest, most of the men who supported the protest had these kinds of stories. And we saw this also in the internet, where people were sharing that, yeah, that something like that happened to my sister, something like that happened to my friend. Yeah, the best thing to get you engaged is the government that is trying to kill you. <laughs> Miracles happen then. Our politicians don't have a clue what they're subjecting women to. And not only adult women, I'm 17, just like my friends here.
1: The law we have today is backward enough, but what they're proposing is simply medieval,
0: the Bronze Age. 90% of the Polish women's strike was cities smaller than 100,000 inhabitants, and most of it were women like me who were never activists before, people who just went out and organized. This is the mobilization that I think is historical. with changing the thinking about how people mobilize because we never had a management board. We never had uh, leaders and bosses. I'm not ruling that the Polish women Strike. I'm the help desk. So I'm responsible for collecting money, for providing legal advice, for media coverage, for posters and flyers and visual identifications, for everything that people need to get organized by themselves. And they do it by themselves with no one telling them what to do. So it changed the structure of People organizing in Poland. There's no orders coming from Warsaw, from capital city, or from anywhere else. Then I'm so happy it has changed. I'm so happy that people also rebelled and women rebelled, because this is also a personal freedom. When you protest about something that is very important to you, that you do it the way you feel it. There was a city in Poland, I think in Wrocław, when they organized a dance of Zumba, in wearing black in the market square, and it was brilliant, and I and I loved it.
2: The Polish Women's Strike boldly demanded that women control their own bodies, not the government or the Church. For Marta, this signaled a return of grassroots activism not seen in Poland since the Solidarity Movement of the 1980s. She sees the Polish Women's Strike as a rebirthing of democracy, and she credits women's activism for challenging the grip
0: of the Catholic Church. The Church bought the ban on abortion that we have now with their support to us joining the European Union and joining NATO, the government of Poland. That's why we are so involved in this fight for democracy and rule of law in Poland. Because in the Solidarity times, it was men and women fighting for freedom of Poland. And then women went home, and men went to get the power. And then men sold women to the church. And the Catholic Church, basically, in the last two years, went all over their heads with the arrogance and the pressure to the government to set the laws that are actually mirroring what the religion says. And now it's obvious for everyone that we are following the Catholic agenda, we are following the Catholic religion. They go so over the line that, for example, the support for legal abortion in Poland now is 69%. And two years ago, it was 37 So they help us in the way with the craziness and arrogance.
2: As a key organizer of the Polish Women's Strike and also of the International Women's Strike, Marta Lempart became a target of global anti-abortion forces who attacked her in court and tried to criminalize her for her work for women's rights. Chief among these groups is Ordo Juris, whose name means order of the law. Their website states that their mission is to battle, quote, radical ideologies that aggressively question the existing social order. These well-funded anti-abortion groups continue to operate in Poland and other countries, on the streets, in the courts, and in the
0: media. Their whole obsession is forcing women into pregnancy and then forcing women to carry the pregnancy. And there is a big, big, big network of them. And there is the Ordo juris this most fundamentalist group, and they are feeding actually on the church. I think church is happy with their agenda. So they put these horrible banners outside hospitals when women are women who had miscarried or women who are, have endangered pregnancies and so on and so on. And they show these propaganda banners with fetuses that are not actually after abortions, but they are all after miscarriages and claiming that abortion is killing and so on and so on. And it's everywhere, and it's public space. And the bad thing is that the state supports that. And there's the Ordo Juris; They work with something that is called Agenda for Europe. And the main of that is twisting human rights into something else and putting so-called family in, in the spot instead of the human being. So the whole thing that is happening in Poland, that will happen and is happening in Croatia, that is happening in Verona, in Italy, and all over Europe, is actually being done not by the Catholic Church by themselves, it's being done by this network of the organizations who want to go back to the Middle Ages. They want to ban abortion. They want to ban divorces. They want to make domestic violence legal. I know it sounds kind of science fiction movie scheme crazy, but this is the struggle that is against people who actually want the world to look totally different. They want the Handman's Tale to happen.
2: Groups supported and funded by Ordo Juris have sued Marta Lempart and other women's rights activists in retaliation for the success of the Polish women's strike. Marta has publicly denounced
0: these groups as neo-Nazis. Two neo-Nazis, one sued me and the second one put me on criminal trial for calling them neo-Nazis and now it's the Ordo Juris trying to intimidate me. It's like the everyday thing and there are many, many people like me. It's about 2,000 people in Poland already who are... Under this pressure by the police and persecutors, and so on and so on. You know, with the neo-Nazi trials that I have, the whole thing is that I said that neo-Nazis are neo-Nazis, so the whole trial is about me proving that they are neo-Nazis. So this is interesting because we, you know, I get to t- call them neo-Nazis in court many, many times now, uh, <laughs> while explaining why they are neo-Nazis. And the same is with Ordoyuris; I call them sadists that they hate women and so on. So I'm not saying I didn't say that. I'm saying I said that because that's true. And the whole trial, it's very good that it happens actually because we are talking in the state court now that they are sadists and we are proving that. That's good. They didn't see this coming. They didn't see Polish women strike. They didn't see women all over the world saying, okay, so we're not getting flowers on the 8th of March. We're going out on the streets, and yes, we hate you when you hate us. We stopped with being nice. In the United
2: States, some 400 anti-choice laws have been passed since the landmark 1973 Supreme Court ruling Roe v. Wade, there is a concerted effort to chip away at reproductive rights and make it much harder for women to control our own bodies. Sarah Hutchinson Radcliffe is a U.S.-based advocate with Catholics for Choice, a voice for Catholics who believe their religion supports a woman's moral and legal right to follow her conscience in matters of sexuality and reproductive health.
3: The idea that we are put on this earth to serve others or put on this earth to make the world a better place is what often brings many of us to our faith. And what I've discovered in my work in the nearly decade that I've been with Catholics for Choice is that so many Catholics connect with that far more than they do the political strom and drang that the bishops try to portray as what Catholics believe, at least in the Catholic tradition. The bishops and the hierarchy here in the United States especially really wield a political power based on a very narrow view, both of teaching, but also of the history of what Catholics do and think and are. The Catholic bishops and their political arm, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, really have had an agenda to change the way religious liberty, religious freedom is legislated in the United States. Back in 2011, the bishops— formed what they called then an ad hoc committee on religious liberty, and it really was an internal structure for them to be able to forward an agenda to change what religious liberty means and how conscience is, quote, unquote, protected. The problem with the bishop's agenda on this was that it didn't include access to certainly contraception, but also any kind of reproductive health. It was against the idea of marriage equality. It was for the idea that faith-based organizations should be able to take millions of dollars in taxpayer funding without having to play by the same roles as other organizations and a number of other activities. And what we've seen since September of 2011, when they put out that agenda, a step-by-step campaign to force those policies down the throats of Catholics and non-Catholics across the United States. We know that most Catholics do not agree with this. They don't think that the bishops should be involved in politics. They don't think that they represent Catholic voices when they talk to politicians about what they want and what they think. We represent the voices of the millions of Catholics around the world, really, but certainly here in the United States who disagree with the Vatican and our church hierarchy on issues related to reproductive health, to sex and sexuality, to what religious freedom really means. And our faith teaches us that we have the right to both dissent from teachings and to raise our voices. So we help people do that in a Catholic way.
2: According to the Guttmacher Institute, a vast majority of Catholic women in the United States use birth control. Catholics for Choice works to give a voice to this majority, empowering Catholic voters in state propositions, testifying before the U.S. Congress, and producing media campaigns that clarify issues and feature personal stories. Here's an example of their media work
3: my name is carla peluso i am a mother a retired police chief a state legislator and an oregon catholic for choice i will be voting no on ballot measure 106 as a catholic i believe in social justice i support every woman getting the health care she needs including access to abortion without obstacles or barriers i expect our state laws to protect against someone imposing their beliefs on others especially on personal matters like pregnancy trust women Vote no on ballot measure 106. Paid for by Catholics for Choice. What I often get when I go out into the world and and talk to people and represent Catholics for Choice is they're relieved and grateful and oftentimes very emotional about our work and how grateful they are that there's someone speaking their truth and for them. We've worked on some ballot campaigns where individual Catholics in places like Oregon or Albuquerque or Colorado will lend their voices, their faces, their names to public campaigns about why Catholics don't support bans on abortion, for example, or why Catholics don't support laws that are trying to seek to shut down a clinic in Albuquerque in 2013. And in those places, I'm awed and so moved by the stories that people are willing to share publicly, under some duress, frankly, sometimes, from the bishops and from the ultra-conservative allies that they have across the country. So it really does make a difference, I think, every day that there is someone saying, no, we don't think that because you're Catholic, you cannot be pro-choice. And in fact, most of us are. And it really does make people feel like they've come back home to their faith. I'm Sarah Radcliffe, and at Catholics for Choice, we represent the voice of the vast majority of Catholics in the United States who disagree with the bishops on sex and sexuality and why stand with Planned Parenthood.
2: Catholics for Choice partners with many organizations, among them the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health. Sarah Flores, a youth organizer in Virginia, says the Institute's work in Spanish-speaking communities tries to avoid the old pro-life versus pro-choice debate, focusing instead on salud, dignidad y justicia, health, dignity, and justice.
4: We as an organization, the National Latina Institute, actually started out of a project of Catholics for Choice back in the 90s. I personally was raised Catholic. I know that we also have a lot of folks who are Catholic and are able to see like many other Latinas around the country, that things like abortion or reproductive health should be private concerns and that the church should not be involved. So we as an organization have done a lot of polling, um, specifically around Latino and Latina voters and their attitudes around birth control and around abortion. And so what we found, and this was 2018 polling, we found that 82% of Latino, Latina voters do not see birth control through a religious lens. Sometimes there's this really dominant narrative that's just very loud from Catholic churches that says that Catholic women and Catholic couples do not use birth control, which is just not true. We also know that 87% of Latino-Latina voters would also support a close friend or a family member who had an abortion. And so that's really the perspective that we come to this work at. We actually have a campaign called Yo Te Apoyo, which means I will support you. And it's this idea that we recognize that labels like pro-choice, pro-life don't really work for our community and they don't work for a lot of Americans. And so we like to use language of support instead. And so because of that, partnerships, you know, I uh, like with Catholics for Choice have been really important. We also definitely believe that we should trust women and that women are capable and their families are capable to make the best decisions for themselves. And because everyone has goes through this world with a very unique experience, how can we make policies that will so severely restrict someone's ability to move forward in life? We know that if someone has an unwanted pregnancy, that could mean a lot of things. It could mean that someone goes deeper into poverty. It means that someone has to stay in an abusive relationship or someone is not able to accomplish their goals. And if we, I think as a country, pride ourselves on being a democracy and that we elect these representatives to make the best decisions for us, then we need to hold them accountable. That's why it's really important for us in our work in Virginia, we went down and spoke before several different committee hearings uh, to share our grievances, or support for different pieces of legislation that would expand our rights for accessing contraception or abortion care in the country. Yo soy una mujer católica,
1: y para mí no hay nada más importante que proteger a la familia y el amor. Por eso es que le hablé a mi nieto acerca de los condones. The
2: Trump administration changed the way people are tracked when they get public assistance. Receiving, for example, food stamps or reproductive health services can now lead to the denial of a visa or green card. The National Latina Institute used effective bilingual outreach to give the Latina community a voice on this issue.
4: We as an organization were part of national campaign with many different organizations across the country um, known as Protecting Immigrant Families. And we were able to collect, I believe, about 700 individual comments um, to then be submitted to the U.S. government. And so that was a really exciting moment because oftentimes uh, these comments have to be submitted in English. And so we had an amazing team. It was a cross-organization effort, to collect comments in Spanish and English, and then have those translated and individually uploaded into the system. So that was like such an amazing campaign to work on and just to see the community also really feel the support that we were giving them and that they were so excited to be able to share their voice in this way and know that their voice really mattered and really counted for something. So that was just such a powerful moment.
2: Catholics for Choice works with a broad network of advocates for women's rights and women's health in the U.S. They also work in countries with large Catholic populations, like the Philippines, and in Chile, where President Michelle Bachelet legalized abortion under some circumstances, a victory hailed as the first step toward full reproductive rights. Irish feminist and pro-choice advocate Alva Smith welcomes support and training from Catholics for Choice to rally and unite all sectors of Irish society for women's reproductive rights.
1: The historical role of the Catholic Church in Ireland has been absolutely huge, and the authority and the weight of the Catholic Church has been laid on the shoulders of people in this country for a very, very long time. The very cruel, dreadful, brutal treatment of women who were put into institutions, Catholic institutions, by their families or by their communities because they were sexually active or because they'd had a child outside marriage or because they had, in some other way, defied convention. And abortion was so profoundly stigmatized and and remained very profoundly stigmatized in this country until now, it was carried out in the most profound secrecy and silence. All those of us who are pro-choice or feminists really were absolutely disgusted at this situation. And the constant stream of women going over to England, I mean, that was endless. It just went on and on and on. And the stories, the experiences were really dreadful. They were going over to England because they couldn't get abortion in Ireland. And the baby's ashes were being sent home to them in DHL parcels, or they were carrying them home in the boot of their car And so we never gave up organizing. A group of us got together to form a coalition to put repeal of the Eighth Amendment on the political agenda and to stop pretending that we didn't need abortion in this country. So we started off as the coalition to repeal the Eighth Amendment. And by the time we actually had the referendum in 2018, there were over 100 organisations part of that coalition because our thinking was that the pro-choice movement and the feminist movement wanted to do this, but it would need more than us. It would need everyone, really, and all of the stakeholders in this country who felt that this was very wrong and very hypocritical and had to be ended. And that was how the coalition with our 100 members and the National Women's Council of Ireland and the Abortion Rights Campaign came together to form the actual campaign Vehicle which was called Together for Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Ireland has spoken with a clear, strong voice, and this afternoon Dublin Castle was packed with those who wanted
5: to
2: shout about it. The final confirmation the crowds had been waiting for came this evening.
5: Votes in favour of the proposal
1: 1,429,981. When the vote was confirmed, we were in Dublin Castle and there were thousands and thousands of people there. When the result was announced, it was just an incredible, an incredible moment. It was just extraordinary. I think there was such a sense of relief, such a sense of achievement that this cruel, brutal Catholic Ireland really was gone. Winning that has certainly been very important for women's sense of our full citizenship. If you then were to ask me the question, does this mean that women are absolutely equal in Ireland? Well, no, of course not. (laughs) We still have to fight for more freedoms. Of course we do. We've never had a woman prime minister. We've never had a woman head of a university. Women are still far more prone to poverty and to homelessness. Women still have to struggle for childcare. We still have to struggle for equal pay, for promotions in our jobs. We still have the terrible burden of violence against us. The levels of male violence against women are not encouraging. So in all those ways, our freedoms are still circumscribed. So everything we win, it is hard fought for and it is hard
2: one. Alba Smith Ireland is celebrating a big step forward for women, but globally, women still have a long way to go. In the United States, abortion and reproductive rights are under siege. In many states, women do not even have access to abortion services. In 2018, Congress allowed the Violence Against Women Act to lapse and has yet to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. <music>
5: it be nice if we had an amendment to give civil rights to women to once and for all just really lay it down from the point of view of women we got to put down civil rights of women make diversity legal make it finally understood through the civil rights of women and if you don't like abortion don't have an abortion and teach your children how they can avoid them but don't treat all women
2: And that's it for this Women's Desk edition of Making Contact, produced by Women Rising Radio. Special thanks to WPFW Radio in Washington, D.C., to Radio Wroclaw in Poland, to Tin Pot Studios in Ireland, and to Lisa Rudman and Salima Hamarani. Music courtesy of Ani DeFranco. Contact us online at womenrisingradio.com and at radioproject.org. Women Rising Radio's producer is Lynn Feinerman. Our audio engineer is Stephanie Welch, and I'm your host, Sandina Robbins. Thanks for listening.
5: midwife.